Thanks for tuning in to Cafe Racer Radio for Sunday Mornings with Cindy Ann. I'm Sherry Hauser, and this is Pink Noise. Today I'm making a ruckus about authentic relationships with my dear friend, Randy DeRocher. Here we are. Randy has a business called Guided by the Heart, and we are going to talk about how he lives every day guided by the beat of his own heart and how special and unique that seems to be in the world. I'm so glad you're here, Randy, on Big Noise Radio. <laughs> Thank you, Sherry. Ah, wow. Yeah, I can already feel my heart expanding just hearing you welcome me in that way and acknowledging that, how, how rare it is to really live by the beat of my own heart, the most important organ in our body. Yeah, and I know that one of your passions is cultivating conscious relationships. And one of the things I'd love to talk about is the how. How is it that you cultivate conscious relationships? Whoa, okay, we're diving right in. We're diving right in. <laughs> you know, I yeah, living by the heart, of course. Like, that's, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. That's right, that's right. I mean, I... I imagine that it takes some modeling of vulnerability to show up as who you are. And I'm just guessing that that's a key ingredient. And I'd, I'd love to hear how you do that. Modeling vulnerability as a key ingredient of cultivating conscious relationship. Absolutely. Um, Really, just as you already said, it's, it's about living from the heart and, and the how is about first learning to listen and listen to what's on my heart and what's in my heart and what's flowing through me, which has been a long process. This is not a, uh, you know, a quick thing that happened at the snap of fingers. This is a, a path of awareness and commitment to, to myself, to showing up to myself in order to show up more vulnerably and more authentically with others, in particular, those that I love, those around me, that I'm in close relationship with. And stepping in first, again, listening, knowing what's here, and then having the courage to reveal it and share it, which can be really scary uh, because we've all been hurt. And you know, some of us more than others certainly have a, a history of plenty of pain. And with that came a lot of numbing along the way. And in my previous relationship, I was in a nine-year toxic marriage that was very unhealthy and, and abusive even. And also working in the corporate world during those years. So I, I numbed a lot and didn't allow myself to feel. And when I left that marriage and uh, that career uh, about five and a half years ago, the first, the first year was really about play and allowing myself space to, to, to just really playing it out there and unnumb, to just feel more, to experience more of life. And with that, you know, I started to experience more joy for life again, and then that allowed me to lean into unpacking the pain that I had shoved deep down inside. And as I, it, there's a, a pendulum here, there's a, a thing that happens. As I was able to experience more joy, I was able to grow more capacity to be with discomfort and pain. And as I grew my capacity to be with discomfort and pain, I could experience more joy. And so this is the full range of the human experience. I'm getting chills all throughout my body right now as I share this. I'm wondering how you knew that play could be an antidote for what you were holding. It, it sounded like I, I heard you say that you were working in the corporate world and you described your past relationship um, as being toxic. And so hearing that, I'm imagining there was a, 
some suppression that might have happened of your authentic self to survive. And so I know that when I'm in a challenging situation, I might tend to armor up and kind of protect my tender heart. And so I won't reveal all of me. And so what I'm really impressed by is not only the shift, the pivot that you made, but the intentional play that you invited into your life to rediscover more of who you are. Where did those signals come from that led you down the path of play? What breadcrumbs did you follow? You're absolutely right about the suppression, about the process that was happening uh, before that. And it wasn't like intentional, oh, I know this is exactly what my, my whole system and my whole being needs in this moment is I need to, to go and play and do, do all this stuff and I had this master plan. No, it was years of suppression and numbing and pain and it just breaking down and armoring up my tender heart, as you pointed to. And there was just a breaking point. And there was a moment, and I remember very distinctly because there was so much conflict, so much tension in my previous relationship. But the last few months, there was actually less, less conflict because I had been setting boundaries here and there like, okay, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to tolerate this more. I'm not going to, and, but the, the passion was lessening. And I, I looked at my ex-wife who was, uh, you know, a, a traditionally attractive person in society, uh, a former model and everything. And, and I looked at her in the mirror and I just was not attracted because there was just so much hurt. And, and, and also she was wanting children. And I just knew that was not right. I did not want to have that, that bond with her for the rest of my life. And so that's where I finally decided to leave. It wasn't in a big blow up uh, that we had many of and, and where I had left and come back. So it wasn't like I had this super clear insight and had it all figured out. It was, I left at 11 o'clock at night and went and slept in my, my office on, a, on an air mattress underneath my desk in downtown Seattle and, and did that for the first month uh, as I was contacting people to, to stay with them. And so it was a, an unraveling process because I was wound so tight and I was so armored. And so starting to reach out to these people and receiving the generosity of people opening their home to me to, to stay even sometimes on a couch or on a floor with a sleeping bag, but just receiving that generosity of them opening their home to me uh, as I was going through this process and I shared my story about what I was going through. And I didn't want to just go and get, no, get a new apartment somewhere and just kind of just shift and, and, and uh, just plug right into the next thing and keep the machine going there was something inside of me that knew that was not the right step. I didn't know what it was though. I allowed myself to be in that confusion in that discovery. And I think that was, is really what is key is allowing myself to be in the not knowing. And it was my, you know, my inner child really that just needed the play. There was just this longing for play in my life. So, so yeah, it wasn't a conscious you know, insight, like this is exactly what I need. Here's the recipe. It has been a continual unfolding over the past several years. Whew, indeed. Yeah, I'm sure anyone that's listening that knows me huh, would imagine that I could relate to part of your story. The sitting in the not knowing when I heard you say that, I felt my body vibrate. I felt my, my, my cells, my muscles, my, my tissue, my skin remember, you know, remember sitting in my friend's rented basement suite with the few possessions that I left my marriage with. And months later, resigned from my career and sat in the discomfort of not knowing what's next. I knew that I couldn't continue on the same path I'd been on and love myself. And love yourself. Yeah. And I think the last four years for me has been a process of remembering 
re-remembering how to love myself and rewriting some of the stories, the labeling that I received from my ex-spouse. I was told that I wasn't a nurturer. That was the label I received. And I took it and I owned it. I'm not a nurturer. And what I've come to, to, to know, when as I've come to know myself deeper, I see that in fact, I am very much a nurturer. And, and I don't wanna pass any judgment onto why it happened like that and why he had that thought. Because what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm loving so much about the practice of AR is not labeling an experience as right or wrong, but treating it as information. And in fact, that says more about him than it says about me. What, what do you think of that, Randy, the, the ideology that what someone else does or says is more revealing of how they see themselves in the world than it is about how they see others in the world? Does any of that resonate for you in, in the development of the relationships that you've had? Absolutely. And uh, I think of the wisdom of Anais Nin. We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. And speaks, you know, succinctly captures exactly what you just spoke to. In my work with my own relationships uh, in unpacking uh, my, my long-term relationship and then also in the beautiful relationships that I've been in since then and, and really diving deep into understanding myself and humans in relationship as this is also the work that I do in the world. I see you know, we're, we're mirrors for each other. We can't really see ourselves. So being in a relationship helps us to see ourselves so we recognize. And so the things that we you know, criticize or attack or um, get down on someone else for are the things that we don't accept in ourselves. And the things that we look up to and admire about others are often things that we have in ourselves, gifts that we don't fully accept or own. In hearing you uh, talk about the, the nurturance and how I've gotten to know you over this past three-ish years, um, you're one of the most big-hearted, like sweet, inclusive, and welcoming, nurturing souls that I know. Your, your ability to, to nurture and welcome and bring in and, and help others to feel welcome is so apparent. For me, it's blinding almost in a wonderful way. Whew. Just trying to take that in, Randy. It's a new message for me to hear. It's a new message for me to believe. And I, and I am believing. I am believing that that can be true about me. And it, it's, it's almost like developing a new muscle if you were training as an athlete in some activity and you have to you know, walk before you run and run before you marathon and et cetera, it feels like that. You know, first, first it had to, the, the lie had to be cracked open and, and proven to be false. And then you need reminders <laughs> I think, you know, for it to be seen and revealed and felt and known. And now you get to rewrite a story. And, and isn't that beautiful? I'm, now I'm pulling on the thread of rewriting stories and I'm thinking about how my father in his mid-70s has, has rewritten a description of who he is in the world by having meditated for some nearly 250 days in a row now. And that was wow. something, you know, I never would have believed a story that 
my father has a relationship with meditation. It doesn't fit any past description I've ever known of my dad. But in the last 250 days, he's meditated. And so I now get to expand my vision of who he is and what's possible. And isn't that beautiful? Yes, yes, that is something to celebrate. It is amazing. I was just thinking as you were sharing that, I would, I would love to, to have a conversation with him and, and hear what that has brought into his life. And, you know, at that age to have such a, you know, radical shift in, in practice and, yeah, just so much life experience that can come through in, in a clearer way, my experience of what meditation brings. This oh great guru, I know that you and I have, have played this AR game called the guru game, and it's a practice of learning how to sit in both your dignity with being a knower of things that only you can know the way that you do, and also sitting in your humility as a student, open and willing to the new ideas of others. And uh, I, I, it's one of my favorite lessons from the Art of Being Human. Uh, coursework that we've both done with Art International. And yes, the dignity and the humility, always a student, always the teacher, and, and that dance in between them. And I still find that, as, you know, even, even, even at the ripe young age of 50, I am still the teacher and the student on a daily basis. And again, exactly. I claim, isn't that a wonderful thing? Yes, yes, absolutely. That um, continual thirst for learning and unlearning, which is at least as important as the learning. Right, right. Yes. So I want to go back to this cultivating conscious relationships. And mm -hmm. hopefully we haven't strayed too far off of that thread as we discuss things that we've learned in our journey that, that points us to our true north. You know, as we're guided by the heart to see more, to feel more, to be in greater, deeper connection with ourself and other. I know that one of your, um, one of your mantras, truth over comfort, is one of the hows that you do your what. Your what is cultivating conscious relationship. How you do that, one of the ways is you choose truth over comfort. Yeah, thank you for laying that out so clearly. We haven't strayed too far. Here we are in connection, you and I right now. And you are a master at weaving the threads, <laughs> bringing us right back to the trail. So thank you for that. And and as you brought that up and said truth over comfort, that I could just feel a whole bunch in my body as to why um, that is one of the house um, and basically how I've learned that lesson. The truth over comfort is the result, yeah, of a lot of pain. So basically I learned, I, I grew up with comfort over truth. That's what was modeled in my home, keep things, you know, like status quo, don't rock the boat, don't make anyone uncomfortable, don't make waves. So don't talk about stuff that's, that's too deep or too personal, don't ask, don't ask questions that are too personal. That's what was modeled for me. It was very much on the surface, as long as we're polite and smiling, everything looks good. It's all good. And with my ex-wife going into my first marriage, I hid, I kept some things hidden to not make waves. And so my dishonesty broke trust and was a core ingredient of, of this, of our foundation of our relationship being not solid as it could or should have been. I won't say it could or should have, but could have been had I known what I know now. This has been part of my path. This has learned it. And so those experiences of me 
hiding some things from my ex-wife, which for her, honesty is one of her core values from the beginning. She was brought up by two judges. So here we are brought into each other's path <laughs> for this. And, and of course, so when she discovered these things that I was not honest about, that was the, the biggest betrayal there can be for her. And for me, she was overreacting because mom, my mom was, oh, don't be too truthful. Right? Because she just operated under this assumption that people aren't ready to hear it or don't, don't rock the boat. And so here we are coming with two completely different contexts. So tying in the AR principles, this is recognizing where these clashes are, where these where this conflict is, is that we're both operating under very different contexts. In addition, we're from different cultures. And so having the awareness now, I'm able to see that. I didn't have these tools. I didn't have this framework when I entered into this relationship. And so a truth over comfort is, is one of the lessons that has emerged from that very painful relationship. And this is you know, more than one occurrence that this happened. This was, this was a pattern for me of not being truthful in times of challenge. I wouldn't, I wouldn't enter into the difficult conversation. I would avoid it. I was very conflict avoidant. And of course that would piss off my, my ex-wife even more. And so that created more conflict. And then that, I would collapse even more. And so it just really like created this unhealthy dynamic. And after I finally exited that relationship and I started to enter into new relationships with my eyes more open and doing a lot of personal growth work and unpacking what went into the breakdown of my marriage and starting to own my experience, the fourth practice, own my experience of what I brought into it that led to a fractured foundation. And I stopped blaming my ex-wife for all the things that she did in response to my dishonesty, that allowed me to learn and grow from those experiences and take them into my new relationships and say, okay, this is, you know, that this is really important to me to be, you know, the truth over comfort. I'll be uncomfortable to bring the truth out in the open because the truth is, if I'm being honest, when I was not truthful and I wanted to preserve comfort, it always ended up being more uncomfortable because she would find out and then, you know, all, you know, shit would hit the fan and, and it would, I would be, it'd be awful. So it never led to more comfort, <laughs> avoiding the truth. For some reason, I had to learn that lesson over and over again, very painfully. <laughs> and even in my newer relationships, it's not like it was just, oh, okay. I just flipped a switch and then all of a sudden it never happened again. No, I had, to, I had to face it a number of times again. And even now I notice once in a while, there will be an impulse inside of me. If there's something that feels really uncomfortable, really hard, there might be an impulse inside of me to like want to avoid it. And I have grown my awareness to recognize this impulse or this pattern or, or, or that whatever the story, whatever it is that's coming up to want to skirt, to want to get away from facing the truth. And I hold myself in it. And that's what has transformed my relationships to be so rich and fulfilling. It's really potent to hear you claim your part in the story. You know, and, and I don't just mean being able to admit that you withheld some information but being able to track back that you were withholding information because you were prioritizing comfort over truth because that's what was modeled to you growing up. So now you have muscle memory and experience with valuing comfort over truth. So you move into your first primary relationship and no wonder you're gonna prioritize comfort over truth. And in the learning, that that isn't actually true, that in the end more discomfort happens, you discover a new way. You discover a new way of being. 
And so the fact that you can say that one of the ways in which you live guided by the heart is to choose truth instead of comfort as a way of being seen for exactly who you are and then someone else can choose whether or not they want to be in relationship with you. You get to be the beacon for all the things that you are and attract people who want more of that. You know, and when I heard you own your part in that and not sort of blame her for the way that she was, but own you for the way that you were, because that's all we have. And in receiving that lesson from you, I can immediately take that lesson and as if it were a flashlight, shine it back into my past and say, why would my ex-husband see me as not a nurturer? What's mine to own in that? And then it comes to me and I think, I wasn't meeting his needs. I wasn't the person to meet his needs. I wasn't capable of meeting his needs because we weren't a spiritual fit. We were a great fit in so many fun and powerful, positive ways. And I don't regret any of it. And there's beautiful lessons. There's beautiful lessons when you look. And I feel more liberated being able to reclaim all of who I am and see my role in the mislabeling so that it isn't about blaming him or making it wrong. It's about seeing who I was then and admitting that I wasn't meeting his needs. How did it feel for you to slow down and acknowledge that? It feels healing. It was early August that I, that I saw that fallacy for what it was. So it, it's only been two months of integrating and, and, and claiming, claiming that back, claiming the positive side of that back as a part of me. So it's still, it's still fresh. <laughs> it's still fresh. Always learning, always learning, always growing. <laughs> yes, you are, Sharon Gowser. <laughs> and that's what we're doing here, right? We're like sharing mm. the ride. We're sharing the ride. And we're sharing the ride because there's a lot of universal truths in the human experience. And so I just keep looking for these nuggets, these nuggets of what's it like? What's it like to be more at ease with yourself? Like if we could choose that, if we could choose ease every single day, if we could wake up and say, my only job is to be good to myself. Um, what do you mean if we could choose that? <laughs> Thanks for calling me out. Right. right. I don't understand. Well, well you, don't, you don't understand <laughs> because I'm, I'm going to imagine you've done work, you've done some work and you understand that there is a choice. You know, we set the context for the game of life we're playing, hmm. right? Yeah. So if we want to play ease, let's play ease. If we want to play adventure and excitement, let's play adventure and excitement. <laughs> and if we want to play pain and suffering, we know how to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you choose? So play, you've mentioned that a few times. I know that you prioritize an adventurous life. And I see you as someone who, I think the saying is something about sucking the marrow out of the bone. <laughs> mm. And I, I relate, you know, to that concept. I've, I've called myself a hedonist in, at times. And uh, my friend Tiberio first coined the term pleasure activist. Mm. I hadn't seen it anywhere until mm -hmm. um, I read it in his bio for La Figa and uh, pleasure activist, you know, seeking the things that bring us joy, that give us greater ease, that give us peace. And I'd love to hear some more for you about this living the adventure and 
the innovating and the risk-taking, how does that show up in your life? How do you cultivate more of that? In the unknown. I'm going back to what we talked about just a little bit ago. Um, you said hedonist. And a lot of people, and I'm thinking of myself in the past, when uh, having a conservative upbringing, um, the image that I had of hedonism and all of the kind of puritanical judgments about, about that. And, and I recently, um, last year I met someone who's uh, doing a project around hedonism and I gained a new expanded understanding of what hedonism is. And it's about the devotion to pleasure about the devotion to pursuit of pleasure. And it's not about the pleasure itself. It's not about the, the sensate experience of pleasure, which is, is a temporary experience that, that we as humans have just alongside pain and, and all the other you know, emotions and, and everything else. It's, it's about the, the devotion to the pursuit. It's about following our heart's desire which comes full circle back to the beginning of learning to listen to what's on our heart. And this is not about the, the smallest self, the ego of, oh, I want, I want this thing because it feels good to me. And that's it. And that's all I care about. To me, that's not true hedonism. And, and I, I don't know if I actually fully like identify, I don't really like the, the labels or whatever of, Hedonist, but as far as living my, uh, you know, my mantra of live the adventure, love the journey. To me, living the adventure is about that. It's about tuning in to what's on my heart in every given moment. So it's really about being present. And with that, um, there is awareness that if it's just for me, it's it's fairly empty, you know? So these like small pleasures, it's not really that fulfilling, but if it's something that ripples outward, that has impact for others, that brings joy to others, it's, it's, a, it's a times 10 factor for me of the joy that comes into my life, the fulfillment that comes to me from that experience. Yeah, the, the innovating, the taking risks, the exploring, um, just going out there. And it's not always what's out there, the living the adventure isn't necessarily about jumping off cliffs, which is one of my new favorite, uh, you know, hobbies or activities is finding cliffs to jump from into water <laughs> um, because it, it's, scary, it's scary and, and thrilling. And, and so I get that, you know, rush of adrenaline and dopamine and all of that stuff uh, in conquering, moving through fears. Uh, but it's not all about what's out there or climbing mountains. Living the adventure is also about really just being in the moment and in the unknown and, and taking pleasure in that. And so I think of the beginning of the pandemic, uh, Kasha and I, my, my partner and my wife, we, um, we made going to the grocery store, going to Trader Joe's an adventure because it was so strange. You know, all of a sudden the, the context, the paradigm totally shifted what it, what it was to go to the store. People make getting in line to go to the store and, and all of that stuff. So we got dressed up and our, and, our, and our fun like fur coats and fancy clothes and all of that and, and made it an adventure because nothing else was open. And so, okay, this was our outing. And, and that was an adventure. Um, it also is even, even closer in than that is um, the, the inner work in bringing this same attitude, this same mindset, the same outlook of adventure into getting curious about what's in here. And so the way you just responded to my last share and you look back and grab the flashlight and, and looked back at your past, there is, is living the adventure right there. Oh, wow, okay, I see. He said I wasn't a nurturer because I wasn't meeting his needs. So that's, that's allowing yourself to get outside of your stories, outside of your current experience of what your understanding for life was and what your understanding of 
that past relationship was and looking beyond those limits, those previous limits. And so it's continually expanding our comfort zone, which often is not really that comfortable if we really feel into it. It's just familiar. So it's reframing. So live the adventure shows up throughout my life all over the place. And it's just a, a phrase that came to me um, on a road trip that was an epic adventure uh, with, with Kasha, uh, a one month road trip and uh, on the motorcycle and camping along the way without a, a real specific itinerary. And so every single day was, every moment was in a, oh, where are we gonna sleep tonight? Where's home? <laughs> what did you have to rely on that wasn't the plan? Beautiful question, inner resources. Radical self-reliance, right? We have that shared context of Burning Man and, and radical self-reliance is one of the 10 principles. And it's about tapping into our inner resources. And so we, we just had a hammock. And so it was, okay, where can we find a place to sleep that we can string up a hammock? And everything we have, we, you know, we have everything we need right here. And, and yeah, it just reinstills that and helps to, uh, you know, bring that to, to awareness and for me to really own that and step into that, that I have everything I need. Yeah. And that really my home is right here. I'm, I have my hand over my heart. I realize we're on audio, but this is home. And that's what so much you know, travel and in play has really solidified for me that right here is home. And there's a, an important distinction I want to make about radical self-reliance, uh, in particular in our, in our culture in, in the United States, this rugged individualism, and the, this expectation of society and, and championing of, you know, doing it yourself and, and, and achieving and achievement and all of this um, kind of expectation and then also uh, celebration of doing it on your own. And the incredible pressure that that puts on so many people. And, and speaking for myself of, of what I felt in that before and how that is not what radical self-reliance is about. Our inner resources is one thing, but there's also within our inner resources is our connection to others and also our awareness of when to ask for and allow help. One of the other uh, principles is communal effort. So radical self-reliance exists alongside communal effort. It's not about doing it yourself. So yeah, I just felt like that was an important point because otherwise right, I, I imagine some people who do not have this frame could take radical self-reliance as reinforcement of the rugged individualism. And that's really antithetical of, for me, what it means to live by, guided by the heart. Because guided by the heart is about realizing our connection, connection to ourselves, our connection to others, and our connection to, to nature, to the world around us, how we're all so interconnected. Which, uh, interestingly enough, I watched The Lion King last night because Kasha was wanting just like coziness and chill and like just just really wanted, we almost never watch TV or movies, but um, that was a, a line that like stood out for me in the beginning of the movie. And this is the remake, the 2019 version, um, where Mufasa is walking with Simba, kind of showing him the kingdom. And he says about, you know, how, how it's his to kind of, you know, he doesn't, no one owns it, first of all was really, really big is, you know, like we own a, all this or whatever, this is your king. He's like, no one owns it. This is, this is, you know, as king, it's mine to protect. And as he's walking through and he shares about the antelope, and Simba's like, don't we eat the antelope? He's like, yes, and we eat the antelope. And then when we die, we become part of the grass and the antelope eats the grass. And so he points to that as the cycle of life about how, how we're also connected. And I just loved recognizing that in a, you know, in a Disney movie. Hmm, the cycle of life. I love how when you're in the flow, the thing I want to talk about next, the thing where I was putting my attention, 
you named it. And it was when you talked about going from individualism into communal effort and how radical self-reliance is part of the, the balance as I sort of hold two hands open in front of me like a scale, you know, radical self-reliance in one hand and communal effort in the other. And I know that building community is one of the four core what's of your guided by the heart practice. And I know from past conversations, you and I both prioritize our various communities, our participation in them, our leadership of them, um, our active engagement in nurturing them so they thrive. And that's, that's friendship circles, that's community groups like Authentic Seattle, it's, it's different creative endeavors that we have and pursue, it's our professional practice. And so building community, this idea of creating a welcoming space that serves more than just you. And you spoke about the ripple effect that when you were talking about hedonism, that it's not just about serving your pleasure exclusively and to hell with everyone else. It's doing things that fill your bucket at the same time it overflows and there's more for everyone else. And a thread that I've seen woven through my life is how intentional I am about nurturing my friendships and about building community. And I can track that back to grade school and all the way through college and into moving to Seattle and the way that I intentionally brought people together to have memorable experiences, to do things more than just a party or a dinner or a hike, but it's in the, well, I tease and I call it holding people hostage. You know, when you do overnight trips and it's in the, the sweet moments in between, the preparing a breakfast or the writing of the journal or the sitting in meditation, the laughing, the painting your toenails, playing Scrabble, whatever the activities might be that kind of fall in and around any kind of camp out, it's in those sweet moments that I find the, the most precious memories, the things that really develop a connection to the next level. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm right with you around all of this. And I, and I love you know, pointing out how some of the, the sweet moments in between. So when we have intentional gatherings, which we both, you know, host and participate in a lot of, and how a lot of those unprogrammed moments is where a lot of the richness is and how showing up authentically and in being there for others. And, you know, it, it could be simply a, a thoughtful share or noticing something about someone that they, something that they did and whether you're close with this person or not, but simply bringing attention expressing gratitude, expressing appreciation, the way that brings us close together. Um, I really, really, really love the way, like how intentional you are about building community and sustaining relationships. And, and I admire that in you as a superpower. And yeah, I just wanna let you pause and breathe that in and, and really appreciating you stepping into receiving and allowing more, acknowledging more of your brilliance. And as I receive that, it wakes me up to the work that I'm here to do, which is to help others see their own gifts. The more I receive, the more I have to give. The more I can see in myself, the more I can see in others. The wider my expansive view is, of people's capabilities. The more I can sit in awe, we, you know, mentioned, I mentioned the guru game for a moment back when about the dignity and the humility piece. And it's really showing up, especially around my family, my ancestors, my, my parents to sit in awe, like at their feet in reverence for the journey they've been on, for the things they've endured and for some of the sacrifices they've made. It feels like a really 
critical part of the next level of my journey and my healing is to create those opportunities to sit in awe of where others are and to acknowledge it back to them. Just like you were saying, just like you offered me. The way that it feels is, it's so powerful. It's so uplifting. And I feel seen in your reflection. I feel more whole. And somewhere, you know, in my interview with David Rendell uh, a couple weeks ago, he spoke about, you know, dare you not be too prideful? You know, if you receive too much love and praise growing up, and if you and if you loved yourself, if you dared to love yourself too much too soon, you might have been given a message, dare you not be too prideful. And so there's some shame. There's a layer of shame that came with thinking good of yourself. Mm. That is in our culture that I think is very damaging. I just saw and... a commercial the other day, and it was a commercial that had something to do with home repair, home renovation. I don't want to name a company or an organization because I don't want to damn them, but, but there was some, you know, some commercial about home improvement. And, and the scene is the female homeowner admiring the bathroom, admiring this finished work. And you hear a male voice from the other room, like, like, honey, what are you doing? And she was in there like doing a happy dance. You know, she was like so on fire, so prideful of this beautiful bathroom that she had clearly had a, a hand in creating. Mm. And you hear this voice off camera, honey, what are you doing? And she immediately stopped dancing. You know, nothing to see here. Nope, I'm not celebrating my accomplishments. I'm not doing mm. a happy dance in the bathroom. So right there in the commercial was an example of dare you not be too prideful. Don't the messages. Yes. Don't rejoice in celebrating your accomplishments. Don't shout out, I'm so proud of this bathroom. We did a great job, honey. What? Why not? And I think past Sherry would have just not even noticed what the underlying message was there. The more I tune in, the more I tune in, the more I see, the more aware I am, the more conscious my decisions can become. It's such a snowball. Yeah. As I said before, it's like training a muscle. And, and what you just spoke to about the home improvement um, industry and, and all of that. And just a moment ago, you said you feel seen. And you said, I feel more whole. And what I noticed in that is I feel more whole is that it's a process that you're moving towards wholeness, that you have this awareness that you're moving towards wholeness and you're still recognizing that it's, it's a process. There's, it's, it's ongoing. And, and we talked about, you, you just talked about the, the messages that come in through the media and through society. And I, I saw um, a post or something on social media about if women would accept themselves as they are Imagine the trillion dollar, you know, multiple industries that would disappear and fall away as unnecessary. And it's not just women, you know, it's, it's, it's men as well. It, it, there tends to be more messaging and more media like you just pointed to directed towards women around that and around beauty and around being fulfilling some sort of ideal that is imposed by others. Uh, and it happens with men as well. Uh, and in all of the, in my eyes, unnecessary effort and energy and resources that goes into shaping ourselves into something to meet other people's expectations or ideals of who or what we should be and how we should show up and how we should look and how we, all, all of that. And there's so much like life force and energy that could be directed in other ways. And so that kind of comes back to communal effort is having people show up as they are and welcoming them as they are. 
and what that can harness in community. Practice number one, welcome everything. Mm. I told any listener in the opening episode, these five practices are gonna show up in conversation. Here we are talking about welcoming everything. Welcoming you as you are. Welcoming me as I am in all the perfectly imperfect ways that we're ourselves. Being grateful for all the ways in which we've learned and made some conscious shifts in all the ways we still have yet to. It's a beautiful journey to be on with you, my friend, Randy. Thank you, Sherry. Yes, it is. I enjoy this ride with you, this journey. Yeah. I'm grateful to be both practicing our leadership and practicing our stewardship of living authentically, of choosing conscious relationships where we can fully express ourselves. One of the things I remain so grateful for is that I found someone who wants to love me exactly as I am and reminds me of that daily. And I feel I can stretch into any version of myself that best suits who I want to be and that he'll still be by my side loving that person. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, that is something to celebrate and acknowledge. And I love hearing you acknowledge that. And it's right before you spoke it, I was thinking about that, actually, of, of you and Kevin and how that and your relationship and, and how much joy it brings me to, to see how you call that into your life. Because we met shortly after your separation and, and our, you know, one of the common threads, what brought us together, actually, I'll reveal right here on the show of me overhearing, we were in a, in a conference uh, type of setting, and I overheard Sherry uh, mentioning to um, a friend that you, you knew there about your recent divorce or separation, separation at that time. And it was just the way you shared yourself so authentically and vulnerably in that moment in this kind of after the talk uh, thing in this group setting uh, with this person and I approached you and just said you know hello and and kind of acknowledged the parallel in our in our story and there was something that drew me to make contact with you and i'm so glad that i followed that impulse in me and as we've shared so much about relationships over the years and uh, just seeing your relationship with kevin blossom and and seeing you step into more wholeness and being met and being received in this way is it's so beautiful and so heartwarming. Thank you. It's my wish for everyone to experience the completeness, the it's almost there's safety that comes with a solid foundation of trust that I'd never experienced before mm. that allows me to feel so free. And, and that takes that, you know, that's, that's a, that's an intentional cultivation mm. and uh, it's a sharing of, of values of how you enter in. And we learn what those are from other experiences in our life teach us like your past relationships taught you how you wanted to be and didn't want to be going forward. I think that's part of the human experience is is if we can pause long enough to see what we need to see, to expand on the possibilities and make it even greater, even richer, even more easeful, more peaceful, more joyful. And that is how we know we're on the right path because there's flow. You're not fighting upstream. You've let go of the riverbank and you're, you know, floating on your back, right? Looking up at the sky and the trees and you're just letting the river take you on this beautiful ride. And you feel buoyant and 
and safe. Hmm. It's, it's fascinating that you developed that analogy so much right there of, of flowing down the river of life, because that actually came up in my last coaching call. Hmm. And what he had said on the previous call is that he wanted to be the rock, you know, to be grounded because he had felt like he was just kind of getting taken downstream. And what came to him upon reflection after our, our session, like in between sessions in the week in between, is that uh, after he had like experienced a shift, is that he felt more like the raft, like he was on the raft. And so that gave him this groundedness in flow. And he was able to flow with the current of life and have this bumper of safety that you just you know talked about, this buoyancy and this bumper of safety around and feeling of groundedness while being in flow. And and it came, you know, and, and like you said, like letting go of the riverbank, not grasping to that and, and trying to stay static. Oh no, no, I got it right here. Okay. Because life doesn't stay static, it keeps moving. There's no pause button in the game of life. <laughs> so having that raft and, and feeling that groundedness within flow is just such an incredible feeling. And yeah, I just felt so much aliveness in my body as you as you shared that. That very much is, that wraps up, live the adventure, love the journey, is really about being in flow and, and being able to, to, you said joyful, easeful, uh, I don't remember the other one, but, you know, as, as we're on that raft, going, going with the flow, we can appreciate the beauty that surrounds us, the magic that we're in, and, and that's, for me, the, the loving the journey part, and really welcoming What's next? What's next? What's next? Not needing there to be anything about what is next. There's no attachment to, you know, like the following the curves of the river and the, the banks and just going with it is it's really like just enjoying that ride and, and being delighted with whatever comes. I love the analogy that your that your client provided that you saw together was him on a raft going down the river, experiencing the flow of life, but having the buoyancy of a float and whatever that buoyancy is created by metaphorically, uh, that feels real nice. You know, there, there's, a, um, there's definitely a, a peace and an ease and a comfort and a safety that feels like when I imagine going down a river, you know, and having, being on a, on a, on a flotation raft versus just, you know, body, body surfing it. <laughs> yeah, and the, the beauty of this is it comes back to the inner resources. Because as you said, the, the raft is metaphorical, but yeah. it's, it's within here. So it's about cultivating that capacity and recognizing and having the awareness that this is actually within me. I have this capacity. I have these bumpers. I'm the one that provides myself the safety as I flow down the river of life. Hallelujah to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I know we're going to talk more offline. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you about that you'd really like to share? There's so much. <laughs> uh, I guess honor self and other, which is one of my first, you know, in my compass that, that guides my practice. And, and I guess just about all of this that we've talked about today really can, can be summed up into that, that it culminates into that, of the deeper listening to the heart is, is the part about honoring self and then honoring other. And then that's a continual practice of, of attuning to the other. And so that leads into the cultivating conscious relationships. And I guess just the allowing yourself grace and remembering that it's a practice to aspire to do this more and more and to learn from every choice that there are no failures. I hope you were taking notes. There was a lot of good data there. You can learn more about Randy's practice by visiting guidedbytheheart.com. Next week, I get the pleasure of talking with Lena Meyer, a transformational life coach who runs a practice called Gratitude Six, and she's got beautiful wisdom to share. I encourage you to join us. Until next time, I'll keep making a ruckus from my temporary office in Copenhagen. <laughs>